This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Hi there, and welcome to the Living Local with Edible San Diego podcast. My name is Katie Stokes, and as publisher of Edible San Diego, I wanted to welcome you to a new and important conversation. San Diego County really is a global crossroads, and when you think about it, it's true all the way down to even our very own bodies. In this podcast, we're going to take this concept of we are what we eat, and we're going to unpack it together. We're going to look at what local is, how it works, why it matters. My goal is to create a conversation which is inclusive, dynamic, and one that enriches our everyday life. So I wanted to welcome you to this new conversation, Living Local with Edible San Diego, and to thank Specialty Produce for producing this podcast. everybody. This is Katie Stokes, publisher of Edible San Diego, and I am here with Dr. Sabrina Falkier-Montgrain, doctor of internal medicine with Sharp Reese Dealey Healthcare. We're going to be talking about all kinds of aspects of health and nutrition today and go over some of the really amazing nonprofit organizations that Sabrina volunteers with. So it's going to be a kind of a, a personal exploration of living local today and little things that all of us can do on our own to just learn a little bit more about, about how to live in, in healthy manners. So, you know, Sabrina, as I was looking into uh, your background and your your um, presence online and everything to get ready for today, um, there was a phrase that um, that said that it, you like to show people easy ways to eat well. And I just, I really like that because we're all busy and, and we all want to be well. So I'm just really grateful for you coming here today to to share some some wisdom with us. So why don't we start with a little bit of, of background on your life and how it is that you first came to, to practice medicine? So thank you so much for having me, Katie. I'm really thrilled to be here and having this conversation with you. So for me, it was interesting. I actually came into the medical field. For one, um, I'd had a grandfather and an uncle and actually went two generations back from there that were actually in the medical world. And But for me personally, I had to have surgery uh, when I was 12 years old. And at the time, I was a competitive figure skater and I was a tween, and this is a time in your life when you think the world is in front of you. And we, um, I say we, my mother, who went with me to navigate these doctor's appointments, were so struck by the first doctor I had who really didn't talk to me at all, really. I was kind of this thing in the room that was being talked about rather than being involved. And even though I was 12, I was being talked about. It was my body. It was me being affected. And we had a second opinion by a different physician who was night and day different. And that was my first moment of really seeing how that communication between a doctor and a patient and a uh, patient's family really played such a role in your trust in that person. Hmm. And to really know that, yes, no, no physician knows the outcome of what might happen, but to be part of this conversation and to openly be able to talk about the the great outcomes that there could be and the potential not great outcomes. Mm-hmm. That's such a, a scary thing to have gone through at, at such a young age, but but out of it, you really learned a lot about, about the difference that people's manners can make in our own, our own knowledge about what's going on with our bodies and what we can do about it. It's yes, true. definitely. 
Mm-hmm. And then, so so there you were. You were uh, you had this injury when you were young, and your leg got better, I guess, <laughs> yes. right? Yes, I had surgery, and it was completely successful. And I still remember the first time I got back on the ice. I actually lived in Minnesota at the time, and it was the surgery was in the middle of summer, and to go back on the ice um, probably about two, three months later, and I can still picture what the rink felt like as far as the chilliness and the smells that I was so used to from being in a skating rink and just realizing that I could move forward in a positive way with all the dreams that I had. That's wonderful. And and so 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 connect the dots for us between, you know, as a as this pre-teenage girl, you had this profound experience and then and then you decided to become a doctor yourself. Mhm. Yeah, so fast forward I went um to college and by now, my, my grandfather, he played a big role in our in our growing up, and I could see he was a radiation oncologist and see his interaction with patients. His uh, the excuse me, the hospital that he worked with was right across the street from my junior high, so I would actually go have lunch with him and, wow. and the other doctors. And at this point, it was really predominantly males, um, hmm. and and yet I wasn't intimidated by being in that room, and and I was starting to be fascinated with how the body worked and the science classes and throughout high school. So when I started college, it really was a time where I was really interested in medicine, and at the same time, I wanted a, a balance in life, which is something, a theme that has come around every decade of my life. And so I decided I liked the pre-med courses. I found the science really interesting, but I actually chose to major in anthropology, which is the study of people and cultures, and again, a theme that has repeated itself and has and has worked beautifully in internal medicine and having those long-lasting relationships with patients. Wow, that's fantastic. I you know, anthropology is such a fascinating subject and I can see how it relates in a way to how diverse San Diego County is. I'm I'm curious to talk about about some aspects of culture later on when we get more into into uh, discussing culinary medicine. So, so you became a doctor and and that was in about what year? So I finished medical school in 2001 and then residency. I moved to San Diego 18 years ago and did my residency at UCSD here uh, and finished in 2004. And then I did a women's health fellowship. So I started working at Sharp Reese Daily in 2005 in outpatient internal medicine. That's that's wonderful. I mean, many of us have been to the doctor, and and I know that it's a whole other world, you know, in terms of all of the studies and, and time and practice that it takes to actually become a doctor that's helping take care of patients. And um, are, is your practice the kind where you are working with families? Is it a family practice? So internal medicine is 18 and above. So I do have a, not young kids, but I often will have parents who now bring in either their parents and their children. So I, I will sometimes have up to three generations in the same family that I see. Oh, wow. So internal medicine. Okay. And and I, I know that your practice is 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 different from um, the way that different that other doctors practice. So could you help us uh, understand a little bit about what, what makes your medical practice unique? So I love that question because I'm so thrilled that over the last few years, I really feel like I've found my myself and my calling in a way that I never really expected to find at this stage of my career. So in 2016, I actually went to a conference um, that really linked food and medicine, and I went a lot for personal reasons. And and when the keynote speaker started talking about connecting food and medicine, I actually started crying. And huh. as you can probably imagine, uh, medical conferences are not usually tearjerkers. <laughs> right. so, but it really was these, it was about 500 people in the room and entities anywhere from chefs to nutritionists to people involved wow. with the environment um, to different physicians of different disciplines and really trying to join the two. And 
And I realized my passion of food and my career in medicine could start coming together. And, and from there, I actually found Olive Wood Gardens, which I'm hoping we can talk about in yes. a little bit, um, and then have slowly been incorporating it much more in my practice. That, that is so amazing. And I'm, I'm thinking about how each of us, in, in our own ways, we're not you know, a doctor, but how can we incorporate these kinds of ideas in our day-to-day life, just even in general? What are the kinds of things we, we might think about uh, as we explore how to be healthy? So in general, essentially, there's, there's really when we look at health, and, and my specific area of interest and specialty is culinary medicine, so using food to really help your health move forward with what you're choosing to eat meal to meal. And on top of that, um, my social media handle is SensationsMD, and that term really comes from waking up your senses. And a lot of our senses are woken up around food and the whole idea of how to be healthier. So if we think of kind of these five pillars of wellness, are we, are we getting enough sleep? And for a lot of people really feel that if you're not sleeping well, that's going to affect the whole rest of how you interact, what kind of foods you're going to choose to eat. Uh, are you going to feel like interacting with other people? Mm-hmm. Are you, um, do you have the energy to exercise? So essentially thinking about um, sleep, exercise, food choices, connecting with people in your community, and also mindfulness. Wow. Okay, I'm writing these down. I love it. I love <laughs> so, it. <laughs> you know, and it, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about how well-rounded this approach is, you know, that it's, it's a little bit of, of everything, you know, and uh, there's not just one way to do it. I know some people have a, 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 a body where they, they're night owls. They like to go to bed late and, and they wake up without maybe needing as much sleep as some of us, you know, and, and people have, everyone has their different rhythms. But, but thinking about these five pillars for our own life would give us an opportunity to reflect and, um, and, and assess how, how, how we're doing right now with regard to sleep and exercise, food choices, connecting with others and mindfulness, and maybe, maybe take on some new practices, try, try something different, uh, you know, read up a little bit, visit your social media handles and, and, and look online or for other resources uh, for these, these five pillars of health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I find so interesting is that I talk about this on a day-to-day with my patients and to realize the importance of checking in with yourself. So it doesn't matter what what your title is or what stage of life you're in. It is amazing how you can check in on these five pillars and realize there's often a tilting one way or another. Either we have a deadline or we realize we are night owls, but sustainability of that may be difficult if now we have a job where we have to get up at six in the morning every day as well. So realizing what what is our physical need for it without judging ourselves, without being hard on, hard on ourselves, but mm-hmm. really pausing and, and checking in, how am I doing on these pillars? And could I improve one, which might help me improve the others? And they really right. do have a trickle effect on each other. That's really fascinating. I'm, I'm thinking of different things like here we are, you know, in the end of summer and, and it's starting to feel a little bit like fall. So even some of these things might be uh, something we could check in with ourselves about seasonally, you know, mm-hmm. winter feels different than summer with the shorter days and it's obviously colder and different things to eat. And, and so I see that that could um, be a, a seasonal process, but also too, you know, depending on our backgrounds and our, our lifestyles, um, there's always something new to learn. So that, that practice of checking in with ourselves kind of gives us a, a point where we maybe just kind of pause for a moment and, and open ourselves up to, 
new learnings about about how we might live better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and when you talk about seasonality, one of the things that I love to do and encourage others to do too is things that I know you promote a lot is going to the farmer's market and seeing right. what's in season. Mm-hmm. Because often, especially when summer's ending, a lot of people have the sense that this morning of the the longer days and sometimes families are going back to school and there's this kind of chaos that's starting again. And instead of feeling of what am I losing of really, again, the farmer's market is a great way to see, okay, what, what fruits and vegetables are coming into season and, and to get excited about recipes right. or engaging with a farmer that can explain to you, A, what is this vegetable and B, right. what do I do with it? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the part I love about these five and what I love about really waking up your senses around food. So if you're at the farmer's market and you engage with the farmer and you know, you know, Nicolas makes, you know, sells the most amazing berries and I know his daughter's name is Sabrina like mine. And, <laughs> and when I eat that berry, it has so much more to it. It has a story. I know right. that I'm helping Nicolas and his family have, make a living and be able to continue cultivate the foods that they love and do in yeah. such a beautiful way. I, I found, too, over the years, you know, because we all go through different stages of life, that sometimes the practice of cooking feels like, oh, gosh, I don't have time to do this. I'm too busy or I'm too tired or whatever. But if we can make little little bits of time throughout the week to to slow down enough to cook a little bit, like especially if we've been able to go to a farmer's market or get some kind of, of uh, food that is fresh or in season – it, it actually starts to touch on a lot of those pillars, you know. I know I always try to have people with me when I'm cooking. It's just simply more fun. So whether it's my husband or my son or invite a friend over or if we're going to have people over for a meal, it's really fun to do some of the food preparation together. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be complicated things. Nope. It doesn't have to be fancy or look a certain way. It's more about slowing down um, – Checking in with ourselves, really like, I know that it makes me feel good when I'm in my kitchen preparing food with people that that, that I enjoy. And uh, I think it just gives a whole different feel to that day and even that week if you know that you've made that time for yourself. And then, you know, you you taste and smell that amazing food. And it's just, it really leads to a lot of, of kind of great ripple effects. Absolutely. And one of the things that that's so interesting, Katie, is, is, and you touched right on it, is there's, there's such a sense of somebody is taking care of the meal. So there's this separation of what's happening in the kitchen compared to what's happening in the rest of the household. So either, you know, somebody's in the kitchen cooking and everyone else is plugged into screens elsewhere. And the, there's this separation and this kind of loneliness that can happen in all these yeah. scenarios. And instead of starting the reconnecting after people, if there's kids in, in school, of coming into the kitchen and, and, helping them learn ingredients, learning to, you know, rip lettuce if they're really young and start to hear about their day. So it is a part of the connecting at the end of the day. And you're you're ultimately creating this meal that especially kids and sometimes spouses too are much more willing to try it if they actually had a role in preparing it. Yeah, that's that's very true. We, we you know, we have like a steak in the, or, or, you know, having had a hand in, the, in preparing that meal. Um, tell us, Sabrina, about your work with Olivewood Gardens, because there are a lot of themes with that work that relate to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Olivewood Gardens and Learning Center is a national city. And after I went to this conference that I mentioned earlier, I came back looking for any teaching kitchen I could find. And Olivewood Gardens came right up into my awareness. And I actually grew up in Mexico City. So Olivewood Gardens is has a very predominant um, Latino community. And I, I was able to use my Spanish as soon as I walked in the door. Nice. And 
have had this opportunity. They have an eight-week program called Cooking for Salute that when they finish, their graduates called Kitchenistas, and it's really about empowering. So all the things that I like to work on with my patients and, and my children, my family too, is that awareness and empowerment. So learning the why behind nutritional questions and information mm-hmm. and, and the why of why if you eat something, it's great for your body. Why if you eat certain things, it's not good for your body and the long-term effects that that can have. And then yeah. the how. And that's one thing that I love about Olivewood is it encompasses from their almost seven acres of land. They're growing the vegetables. Kids learn sometimes for the first time ever that a carrot has dirt in it, right. that it grows in the ground yeah. and that you can still eat it and it's not mm-hmm. going to make you sick. If anything, it can help your immune system right. even more than that. And then, and then taking that and they have um, programs for all age groups and then taking it into the kitchen. So they're going through each step of of the food process and getting engaged. And you see kids eating vegetables that they never thought they would. So I've now I'm on their board and have really helped with each generation to kind of answer the, the why of the questions that come up for, for each of the groups that comes through. I love that. And for people who'd like to know more about Olivewood Gardens, there's their website is very rich. There's a lot of information there. And I know that they offer different kinds of programs throughout the year for tours of the garden. They do um, special meals there that you can come in and sample some of the the, um, the talents of the kitchenistas and the, the food that's, that's grown there locally. So I do encourage people to um, check into Olivewood Gardens because of the amazing work that that volunteers, staff, and the community do there. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, it really is about empowering each person that comes through the program. And some of them have gone through and opened their own businesses, health food-related businesses, and and have been empowered in a way that they never thought would be possible in this lifetime for them. So to have a little role in that has been amazing. And I feel enriched and have been empowered myself by being around the the kitchenistas especially. Fantastic. And I want to cover a couple of topics before we wrap up for today. The first one is your work with Sharpree Steely, because you have an amazing platform as a doctor with so many patients whose lives you touch. So tell us just a little bit about the work that you do there and how that's unique. So things have really come full circle. So I have been talking to my patients about what they're eating and what's the next step that they could make. And sometimes it's as simple as we don't even get to the food. We're talking about how they hydrate their body. And, And now we're taking it to the next step that we are actually starting shared medical appointments with patients starting in January, where we're actually going to be having appointments that are 90 to 120 minutes. Wow. And we're going to be di- deep diving into topics that in a 20-minute appointment, it's really hard to touch base and really to get to a point of understanding and being able to answer questions. Mm-hmm. And then we're actually going to be cooking with patients. So, wow, yes. That's I'm, amazing. I'm really excited. So, And we're actually going to be – the next step is we're actually studying this to see if – for example, if a diabetic improves or needs less medications, do their diabetic numbers improve by having that that empowerment of knowing how to cook whole grains, how to cook fruits and, fruits and vegetables, what are better protein choices? Oh, my goodness. That sounds like an incredible opportunity for patients there. The last thing I wanted to ask you to talk about uh, with us today are some handy tips because as we said at the top of the of the conversation you know we're all really busy but but there's always something new to learn about how we can make little steps towards health every single day so do you have some handy tips you can share with us yes absolutely so when i think of what 
again, focusing on food, it's about planning, planning, planning. So spending one day a week really acquiring your ingredients, and you can choose if it's a farmer's market, if it's at specialty produce, if it's a CSA box, if it's your favorite grocery store, and then spending that day preparing one or two whole grains that then you can cook. And some of them take longer to cook, so it's easier to do when you can plan rather than when you come home busy at 6 p.m. So cooking a couple whole grains, some trays of roasted vegetables, some protein, be it beans or be it animal protein if you eat that and then using that so you've essentially been your sous chef and then it comes on a Tuesday night and you're running around and you have the stuff already in your in your refrigerator mm-hmm. and you've been your magical sous chef that has already cooked all this for you that's fantastic I, I think I could imagine doing that a little bit making a little bit of time on a on a weekend and and just planning ahead a little bit that's, mm-hmm. that's really that's really inspiring well Sabrina are there any last few little things you'd like to mention with us today like I know you touched on your social media accounts but why don't you say them again so people can look you up after the interview absolutely so the Insta- I'm on Instagram and Facebook and it's sensations MD okay. and then I'm on Twitter but not as much so definitely mm-hmm. especially with the visuals of food mm-hmm. I, I find Instagram and Facebook work, work much better for that and then with Sharp Reese Daily um, that we have sharp.com where you can find me and okay. other amazing doctors in the San Diego area. Great. Very good. Well, I really can't thank you enough, Sabrina, for uh, for sharing these ideas with us today. I, I'd like to invite you back sometime soon and we'll get into more depth on some of the many topics that we've covered today. But thank you very much for making time today. Oh, you're welcome. This was a pleasure. All right. And so it's the time of the podcast that I wanted to change gears just for a moment and share a gardening tip. I was mentioning a little while ago, here we are, it's uh, the end of summer and and getting ready for uh, for fall. And and although it might not seem like it, it's actually the time of year to start thinking about your garden. You know, San Diego County is a place where we can grow food pretty much all year. And I've learned over over the many years that, that it's time to, to start planning the next year in the late summer and early fall. So I don't know whether you collect seeds. I know I've started to do that over time where if there's some wildflowers that grow in, in our yard or um, uh, in, by, in the vegetable garden, I actually try to collect seeds and let them dry out and, and label them and keep them for, uh, for use for the next year. I also wanted to mention a, a, a local source of, of plants um, that have been tested for viability and success in San Diego County, and it's a company called the San Diego Seed Company. So I, I always encourage people to check them out, and, um, and you can find some really great things that will grow in your yard. Um, and, um, and that brings me to the next part of this where, you know, you don't have to have a big space to do gardening. I mean, maybe you're, you're lucky enough to have a little corner of your backyard or a community garden in your neighborhood where you can become a member. But even uh, there have been times in my life when I've lived in a, an apartment that just had a balcony or a small little side yard. And, and you can grow things in, in pots and small containers and have a year-round collection of, of leafy greens or herbs. And um, this really is the time of year to start thinking about that and maybe just set out for ourselves a, a kind of a doable project if, you know, if maybe it's, it's getting one, one container and, um, and looking for some seedlings or some seeds and, and just giving it a try to see um, how fantastic it is to have some fresh herbs to cook with or some, some kale or chard and, and other things that like to, to grow in the winter. 
So I just wanted to encourage you to try something new and and grow something that that will either bring beauty to your table or, or special flavors to your meals. I, I think you'll you'll really enjoy it. And every time that I've done that, I just feel so happy. You know, whether it's um, Easter time and I'm able to snip some of the sweet peas that I planted right around Halloween, it's just it's just a, a really fun way to connect with the time of the year and, and where we live and, and really just enjoy life. So anyway, that's my, my gardening tip for, for the podcast episode. And uh, once again, I wanted to thank Dr. Sabrina Falkier-Montgrain for joining me today and also to thank Specialty Produce for sponsoring this podcast. So thank you for listening and we will see you sometime soon. <laughs>